Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD for November 13th, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Duncan Rolfe, Managing Partner for Miracle Mile Advisors. Thanks for being here, Duncan. Thank you for having me. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current markets, how fundamentals ultimately drive the stock, and we will also go over a few current ideas. So let's get into the current market. Right now, we are in uptrend markets. Uh, the, the main indices are hitting all-time highs. We have four distribution days on the S&P 500, three on the NASDAQ, and more stocks are starting to break out. So we do have a chance. To, the market seems to be getting a little bit better here. Uh, now, Duncan, you're coming at from a different view than we look at these markets. And, and what are your thoughts? Well, they, they all are all-time highs. And I think depending on your perspective, that can either be a warning sign or it can be you know a momentum cue to the upside. You know, we, we're pretty focused on global macro indicators. So we we're probably a little more nerdy than a lot of firms <laughs> like us. Um, we can get pretty nerdy. <laughs> <about it too. laughs> and, and when you look at a lot of the leading indicators, kind of, you know, when you look at, you know, economic performance and health out there, um, we're starting to see a decent deterioration in a lot of those. When you look at the manufacturing indices, um, you look at some of the insider selling, um, CEO sentiment, a lot of those things are starting to, to um, deteriorate a little bit. And part of that, I think has to do with the fact that we've run up so much this right. year. Um, the other part's probably the fact that we're in the longest bull market run in history. And when you also have negative yields across a big chunk of the globe, um, people start to get a little bit concerned about how this is all going to play out. Um, that being said- but, well, let, let me hold you for there. We've had those negative rates for a little while now for around the globe, right? So you've had that kind of concern, especially this year, right? And the market's still- Yeah. And I think when you get to these kind of all-time highs, no one's sitting here saying this is a screaming value right now. Right. I think I think there's a little bit of like musical chairs where you kind of don't want to be the last person without the chair. That's and true. so everyone's, you know, everyone's still scarred from 2008 thinking, okay, when is the shoe going to drop? Um, or- is this just kind of one of those longer runs like Australia had when they had like a 25 year bull market and you just kind of have to just go with it. Right. Um, and I think that there is a little bit of both to this right now, which is that, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're at record low unemployment. So everyone has a paycheck right now and they're taking their paycheck and they're spending their money on stuff. And those corporations are reporting really good earnings and that is driving stock prices up. And that could keep going for a while. Right. Unemployment and consumer spending, they were lagging indicators, they're not leading indicators. And so they're the last things that are going to change when things start to go That's south. True. Um, so we're electing to get a little more defensive at these market highs rather than kind of pile on to momentum. Um, the problem is when you look at things from an economist perspective, more often than not, they generally tend to be wrong, especially right. when predicting recessions. So this could be a while, we'll see, um, but we definitely are getting more defensive. Okay, and, and usually when you get more defensive, what, what are some of the strategies that you'll, you'll take or just uh, from a higher, higher level? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, 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 we work with a variety of different types of clients and, and so we, we have a lot of, of everything we do is very customized. I mean, at the very basic level, though, we have reduced our equity exposure okay. on a, on a, almost across the board for clients um, in favor of fixed income this year. And that's actually been a, a pretty, pretty solid performer because as interest rates have come down, a lot of those, those bonds have, have, you know, 
uh, appreciated in value. I mean, I think the average fixed income accounts at our firm are up, you know, close to seven plus percent this year. So okay. it hasn't hurt a whole lot when it comes to performance. Yep. Now, okay. So now, how did you get started in this? How, what was your path that that got in? Because it, it it definitely is really interesting. And uh, yeah, so why don't you why don't you start off? Uh, yeah, how how you got into this whole crazy world? Sure. Um, you know, I uh, I graduated from college back in the early '90s, so not to date myself, but I um, you know I ended up um, investing during the tech boom, and yeah. so you know th then investing was. It looked like the easiest and greatest thing in the world. You take all your spare change, you put it in the market, it doubles every right. six months, and you know you you can retire by the time of thirty-two. Right. I'd already figured it all out. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, part of what what was going on then is I I ended up getting pretty interested in technology. And to make a long story somewhat short, I I actually started my own uh, company when I was about twenty-six. Um, of course, using other people's money because right. I didn't have any at the time, um, and so we raised about thirty-five million in venture capital. And um, and this was during like the whole dot com. Yeah, literally, we got our Series A round in April of two thousand, which is the oh, wow, month the wow. Nasdaq fell off the cliff. So you guys can probably figure out the rest of the story, but um, <laughs> but it was a very challenging environment to to um, to grow a business. So we hired eighty people in the span of six months. Um, that was when again. I grew up in an investment world back then when revenues didn't matter, profits definitely didn't matter. And <laughs> and so only eyeballs matter yeah, at that and, point. Right? And so at the end of the day, I think when we got our money, we were gonna go public within eighteen months. We had no revenue. We had <laughs> uh, we had a lot of employees. We had a burn rate of a, a million dollars a month. Um, and ultimately we sold it to um, some distressed investors a couple of years later for not very much money. Uh, I think I think we ended up selling it for a little bit less than we took in, in in investment capital, which put us in like the top performers of all the VC portfolio companies for, you know, for, for that group. Um, but you learn very quickly that, that those fundamentals actually really do matter. Yeah. Um, and, and so anyway, I, I got, I got uh, a little bit of wisdom and realized it was a lot easier to manage other people's success than to create your own success. Yeah. So, of course, I got into providing financial advice because that's that's the easiest way to manage other people's. <laughs> <laughs> so that inspired. So you started to learn. Okay, now fundamentals are are really important. So you're like, okay, let me start pursuing. Yeah, pursuing and, and it was interesting because our our industry has changed a lot over the last couple of decades. I mean, stock broker was literally you know calling people up and saying, hey, you should buy Coke, right. and the next month you should buy Pepsi so that I can pay for my kid's mortgage. And and that has evolved into kind of a, a more fee-based approach. Um, and, and that evolved even further. Um, we're an independent registered investment advisor, so we you know, we don't have a broker dealer. We don't sell anything to anyone. We don't take transaction fees. We just provide objective advice. Oh, and, okay. and so that's ultimately where I ended up was to, unfortunately now I'm, I'm full circle. I'm an entrepreneur again, because I have my own company. Right. Um, but that's, that's kind of how I ended up uh, in the independent channel was the, really the desire to provide completely independent thinking for clients rather than being you know, tied to a larger institution. Yeah, and and, and that's uh th that's an interesting market, I and mean, it seems like be a, a growing market. How, how have you seen that e evolve over the the years? Or I mean, it's still somewhat a pretty new. Is it still a pretty new industry right now? Would you say? Or? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the independent firms have been around for a long, long time. It's kind of like mom and pop convenience stores and so yeah. forth. Um, okay. It was more of a lifestyle business. What you had back in two thousand eight was, um, I, I think a kind of a real breach 
of public trust in the larger financial institutions, um, several of which went out of business. And I, I think those those marquee names that kind of equated to safety for a yes. lot of people, um, really um, th- that kind of aura disintegrated. And you know, she so had a lot of firms that um, that really you know provided a huge amount of asset management services based on the fact that they were large institutions. So after 2008, people lost a ton of their money. Um, they started looking for more independent firms and more simplistic fee structures, yeah. most, most importantly, and transparency in how the, that money was invested. And so you see, you saw a lot of those clients leave the big brokerage firms and go to independent firms. And not surprisingly, you saw a lot of the good financial advisors who wanted to provide their clients with that same level of objectivity follow them as well. So that created this very significant uptick in independent firms in our space as money flowed out of the big firms. Um, and today now you're seeing this being one of the fastest growing you know, parts of, of our overall industry. And I think that's going to continue. I think you're going you're gonna to see a lot of these independent firms now, which are very big, I mean, to the tens of billions of dollars, um, are going to continue to grow, grow bigger. And you're probably going to end up with a a pretty significant consolidation that happens over the next couple of years. So, so, you, so these larger firms in 2008, once they lost the trust, and especially a lot of these uh, you know, wealthier clients started questioning the business models. Uh, now, these the, the the advisors started to leave the firms, and they took the clients with them. That's right. Correct, and then yeah. also now you have this fragmented industry, but that's slowly. Yeah, and, and I think people. I mean, this whole issue of being a fiduciary for people yeah. um, has become really, really important. And right. I, I think over time here, this is going to be the kind of com- complete migration for a lot of these firms, which is instead of really focusing on transactional revenue, you yes. know, again, selling stocks, the right. stockbroker, you're going to be more f- full service financial planning firms where you're doing everything from helping them set a budget to optimize tax treatment to obviously invest in the money too. And so that's that's the direction we're seeing. And I think the technology and I think the, a greater degree of, of client awareness of that yep. is really driving this pretty quickly right now. Okay. And uh, now, so you're, you're managing a lot of wealthier clients. So that's mm-hmm. a that's a completely different space than a lot of our listeners are at least probably uh, used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of the challenges that, that you see there now? Because you're doing a lot of full service and, and getting to know them. And you, all of them, I would assume, have to be catered com- specifically to their own needs. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that in my previous firm that I worked before we, we went on our own, I mean, my, my average client size was probably closer to 75 plus million dollars, like very, very large family yeah. offices. And on one hand, yeah, they, they are different and they have very sometimes very different and more complicated needs. Yeah. On the other hand, they're people just like we are, and we all have problems. Some of them are a little different when it comes to finances, right. um, but the emotions and the behavior are very similar. Um, and so, you know, with us, we, we work with, you know, clients with a million dollars up to, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, you know, investment performance is still a very important component of things. For sure. um, Rich people tend to pay a lot more in taxes, so they tend to be a little more focused on how you can reduce that. Yeah. And rich people tend to be rich because they have been successful and or demanding in some aspects of their life. Right. And, and we're a service provider just like all the rest of them. And so, um, yeah, we sometimes have to cater to unique personalities, I guess would be the way I'd say that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it makes sense. And, 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 and especially a lot of these really successful people, mm-hmm. they're used to being in control, right? Yeah. But now when the markets 
start to come unraveled. Maybe not necessarily to extreme of 2008, but yeah, two, yeah, 2011, yeah, yeah, 2015, yeah, a number of other corrections where things sold off pretty hard, at least in the equity markets. No, I mean uh, th that behavioral finance piece is really important. Is that is that you know wealthier people and people who have successfully sold a business for you know tens of millions of dollars, they still have the same fears and the same right. loss aversion as the rest of us do. Yeah. Like I look at my portfolio and the day the market's down 2% and I, I'm not a happy person. <laughs> no, um, exactly. You know, it's interesting because the only, I think, I think to a certain degree, a lot of the, the only really big difference is that the wealthier clients who have already made their money, um, their loss aversion, so the, the degree that they feel bad when the markets go down, is probably 3x what they feel so, good yeah. when they make a dollar. Yeah. So they're much more focused on not now it's you know, blowing it. It's wealth protection yeah. at this and, point. And a lot of the rest of us who are working, you know, you're working, you're, you're adding to your portfolio. So yes. you're constantly, hopefully, putting money into your portfolio every month or every uh, year, depending on what you do. Um, and that creates a little bit of a different dynamic. Um, to the downside, but the emotions are still the same. And that's why the average return of a, a 401k in the U United States is, I think, 2.2%. The average return of the market's closer to eight and a half, nine. Yeah. Um, that discrepancy is all emotional behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to sell right at the low. You can't take the pain anymore. So the indices are at new highs. More stocks are also hitting new highs. Uh, let's take a quick break. But when we return, we are going to talk about how you manage risk and also how fundamentals ultimately drive the stocks and other asset classes. So stay tuned. Hey, Arusha here with a big announcement. We have launched a brand new interactive video broadcast called IBD Live. IBD Live takes you behind the curtain to see how professionals trade. Log on and watch live as IBD's analysts and portfolio managers follow the first hour of market action and pick winning stocks. You get to listen to our conversations, see our screens, and ask us questions all in real time. If you've ever wanted to trade alongside a team of experts, this is your chance. Go to Investors.com slash IBD Live and sign up to get your first two weeks for free. Duncan Rolf is our guest on investing with IBD. Okay, Duncan, let's talk about managing risk and, and really managing uh, these these large portfolios that that you have the responsibility of. Well, it uh, it's definitely more fun some days than others. I, I, <laughs> I would tell think you that. so. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because you you, know, you really when you think about um, investing money, most people think about making money right. on their money. Yes. And that's performance. That's the rate of return you make on your money. What is not captured on those brokerage statements is how much risk you're taking to make the dollar of return that you're getting. And that doesn't really matter when the markets go up like this year. Right. That matters a lot when the markets go down like, you know, last year and and definitely 2008 and and other years. And so, you know, a lot of times um, for us, and we have clients who, who are living off their portfolios, meaning they those portfolios need to generate their income right. so they can keep the lights on. Um, and we have clients who have made a fair amount of money. So again, not losing money is is part of the the reason why they're hiring people yeah. like us. Yeah, you, you only need to get rich once, right? Yeah, and and, and you know there there's 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 there, what I've learned kind of doing this for for a while is there are 
multiple different types of risk. Um, it, there's not when people talk about risk is a very nebulous term. So when we think about risk as it relates to investing, we're really talking about market risk mostly. So okay, the markets go up. That's great. The markets go down. That's risky. So if you have investments that go down when the markets go down, those are risky investments. Mm -hmm. um, that's really just a measure of volatility, how much something goes up, how much it goes up versus how much it goes down. It's kind of like Newton's law. If something goes up fast, it can go down fast. Right. That mostly holds true to almost every investment you can make. So you know, part of how you manage risk for us is is obviously the proper asset allocation, which is you know not news to probably most of your listeners. Um, so if you're 90 years old and you're living off your portfolio, you probably shouldn't have every single one of your dollars in tech stocks. Right. You might want to have some diversification. Um, but I think it's a little more complex than that, which is also how do the various investments in your portfolio actually relate to each other the correlation yeah, yeah. And, the, and the correlation can differ based on different market conditions so are we talking about when interest rates go up correlations can be one way if interest rates go down or if we have a credit driven recession correlations go a different way so yeah. how you scenario model out this and again this is not a science in my opinion um, and i don't even think it's an art form it's just i think it's an evolving set of tools where you're you're always looking in the rear of your mirror to right. try to learn lessons for the future yeah but the rear of your mirror is really small and the front windshield is really big yeah and so it doesn't really give you a great i think uh, ability to to be very accurate on on the forward-looking thinking. Um, so th that's a big part of what we do is how how your different investments interact with each other. And then, you know, there's some other risks that aren't really captured in that. And those have more to do with the types of investments that you're making. So if you're investing in a, a stock or a bond in your portfolio, that's public, you can buy it, you can sell it, you can do it at any second during the day most of the time. Right. So that's a pretty liquid investment. You own it, it's in your name. Great. As soon as you wire money into a fund of someone else's, so this applies to hedge funds, private equity, direct real estate investments, that becomes a little bit of a different risk. Now you have operational risk where you just wired a bunch of money somewhere else. And in order for that investment to work, they have to wire you your money back plus some additional money. Right, exactly. And so, you know, sometimes like with Madoff, that doesn't happen. And so that uh, operational risk is something that, you know, we really spend a lot of time on when we're looking at more sophisticated investments for larger clients is that, you know, that due diligence around that is just as important as the market risk you're taking. And what what is some of the uh, due diligence that you do? So you're, you're, you're going to investigate those funds really closely, how, how long they've been in business, all that kind of stuff? Or Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely looking for, uh, there's a variety of, of different components to that. Um, and I would say that again, not all of this is foolproof by any right. stretch of the imagination. Right, right. I mean, when you have a long-term track record and you've been doing this for a while with you know a variety of accredited investors, that definitely is a good thing versus you just started out yesterday and your website still doesn't exist yet, it's under construction, <laughs> right. that's usually a warning sign. Um, your auditors and your fund administrator and having people who are actually looking under the hood who are reputable yeah. generally helps. But again, there's a whole lot of History is littered with a variety of funds that have had, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers or what have you as their auditors, and they still, <laughs> they still, you know, didn't return money to people right. when they should have. Um, and then I, th I think the terms of those investments is really important. So, um, what they can do with your money, from an investment perspective, is is really important. So in 2008, you know, you put your money in a hedge fund, and they could basically most hedge funds, you, you basically 
they can invest in whatever they want to, long-term options and this and that and private companies and you know, pre-IPOs and so forth. And so at the end of the day, they can also not give you your money back wow. um, if they feel that that's going to hurt the other investors. So in like 2008, when you had the markets come down, everyone redeemed out of these funds right. and the fund manager said, nope, I'm going to throw up my gate and I'll give you your money back in three years as per the, the document. So that also, those are the kind of risks that you want to think through is, is what happens when you're in a different market environment than the one you're in today, where when things are going bad, how liquid are these investments? Um, and that illiquidity risk requires a premium. You should get paid more right, for an investment that's illiquid that you might have to wait a couple of years to get your money back than for an investment that you don't. Yeah. Um, real estate's a great example of that. Um, private equity, investing in direct in a company is a great, you know, venture capital, right. as I found out, <laughs> is a great example of that. And so those are the kind of things that we think about when we're helping advise clients as to how or what types of investment vehicles we should invest in to meet their portfolio needs. Yeah, and so then you're also going to conduct some scenario analysis on, okay, here's the worst case scenarios that could happen, and maybe this is the percentage that you should take a shot at that. Yeah, and like it, it's almost like trying to, <laughs> it's like a therapy session because you're <laughs> you're asking people like, what? how would you feel if this happened? <laughs> and you know, I, said, I would feel terrible if this happened. <laughs> would you slit your wrists or is this just more like you go home and you have a drink kind <laughs> of bad? <laughs> right. and, I, and I think ultimately, like you really, it's important to really have honest conversations with people about their, people have weird relationships with money. Yeah. I mean, oh, money, yeah. money can make people do... Ha has historically made people do a lot of stupid Definitely. stuff in life. Yeah. And so so having that upfront discussion and really matching the math to the emotional side of this is a really important part of why a lot of people hire advisors like me. Right, yeah, because you're going to be a little bit more objective and, and ha help them think through the process of the bad case scenarios. It's, it's just human nature to just think about, hey, if I put in here, I can make so much money, right? If I put in this VC firm, and they're going to get in all these early new tech companies. I could, I could make a killing at this. Yeah, time. I mean, you know, the tech bubble is a perfect example. Okay, everyone's money, like you know, you 10x your money in the span of five years. Right. How many people sold at the exact top? No, hardly, no right. one that I know. Exactly. And I know they probably doubled down at yeah, the exact yeah, top. Yeah. Well, I want it to get to this number, and oh, now it's gone. I'm just going to wait for it to go back. You know? Right. And yes. that trap is total human nature. And so, yeah, professionals really a part of their job is designed to just take the emotion out of the process um, to the degree that you can. Right. And sometimes, like 2000, I don't know anyone who was emotionless about right. the outcome. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in that scenario, the advisors have no control too. The clients. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't control the client's emotion at that time. You can't control your own emotions. No, you're right. Yeah, you work at some of these banks and their stock price is three trades away from going insolvent. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're worried about your clients. You're probably also worried about the fact that your own 401k plan is about to you know, go up in smoke and everything right. else. Um, so no, I, I, th I think ultimately that's a big part of what we help people think through. Um, it's not just us, but all of, all of the professionals who go out there and advise clients. Um, and, and it can create very different outcomes and people, you know, some people, you know, they, they are Warren Buffett. They're very Zen that put the statements in the drawer and then they can kind of, as long as you're not looking at it, it right. doesn't happen. The, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the tree, the tree in the woods. Yeah. Um, and there's other people who, you know what, they're, they're on their phone and they're checking and we can see how often they check the web, the, you know, oh, they, yeah. the oh, God. and it's, it's borderline psychotic <laughs> in terms of, you know, how often they look at their money. And yeah. so you just, you gotta be. 
you have to be thoughtful about who you're dealing with when you're having these conversations. Yeah. So now let's talk about fundamentals because obviously 2008, the uh, the, the fundamentals, it, 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 everything kind of came back to the fundamentals, or even 2000, you know, as, as you learned, right? Let, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, that and how they just ultimately drive in the long run. They're, 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 they're yeah, and I think for me that was one of the big lessons learned was there's a big difference between the short run and the long run. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, back when I was, you know, had the technology company, we, you know, we're yeah, we, we're hiring as many people as possible to build enough potential revenue to go public right. off of no profits and huge losses, which is not that dissimilar to some things that have happened this year <laughs> in terms of companies. Yeah. And and ultimately, that's the short term. The fundamentals are really the longer term of how that actually plays out into um, profitability. And and so, you know, I I think you're starting to see that same issue come up now and. You saw that with kind of the IPO market and the appetite for IPOs changed dramatically this year. Yes, we works and so forth, and that's because, um, you know, when when the momentum is there and everyone's getting out there and and there's a lot of hype and the markets are up, emotion and you know um, emotion takes over and and revenues versus profits are more important. Ultimately, when you look at the market cycle over more than say nine to nine months to a year, the fundamentals ultimately are what drive stock prices. Yeah. Um, and that, um, you could still make a lot of money in the meantime, because momentum, which is really the psychology of all this, yep. um, can stay around for a long, multiple years. I mean, much longer than anyone can imagine, yeah. I mean, the, the housing bubble existed in 2003. It just didn't burst until 2008. Right. I mean, you had five years. And right. the amount of money you made in a lot of these markets, like Las Vegas, between yeah. the time it was a bubble and the time it burst, was bigger than the money you lost right. when it did burst. So. Right. I, or I, like even a rational exuberance with, with Greenspan, right? Yeah. In 96, he said, and then the, the best was yet to come. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, you know, I, I think for us, ultimately, when we're looking at this for clients over the longer run, we really do focus on fundamentals because you you could be right in the short run, um, but you're not going to be right in the long run. Um, now, you could try to time it in the short run to, to, to make all of your short run decision making become a long term gain. Um, I don't know that many people are that good at that. I'll just say that for the record, I'm definitely not one of those people. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately you're trying to pick high quality companies that can grow and you're trying to make sure your asset allocation and your risk tolerances are right. And then you are opportunistic on an event-driven basis. You know, we had the Brexit, Brexit happened. Right, right. I think we got in at, you know, five in the morning after the that night when, you know, everything broke loose over there. And, you know, emerging markets and international were down 15% in, you know, two trading days. and yeah, we liked them 15% ago, yeah. and so you buy more. And yeah. so those kind of events that, that create discounts or, or dislocations are an important part of how you invest money because entry points matter. And, um, and how much, so during those kind of extreme cases right there when the markets are plummeting, how much more were, were you going just a little bit more or? That's true. We, I think a lot of people in our business talk about these events yeah. as if they were the end-all be-all and they took all their money off of red and they put it all onto right, black. And right. that's just not how it happens. Yeah. You're right. It is It is definitely a, a measured right. <laughs> investment. And so I think the, the shift in our allocation maybe was at most 10%. Okay. Um, that still makes a that's big, big difference that, over that time, difference. especially yeah. for some of these portfolios with big numbers. Right. Um, but it's not, you know, no one's making bets that are going to, you know, bring down the house. Because well, well, some do. They're just yeah. not around for a well, while. Yeah, so long. yeah. You could be right three or four times. You're just, I don't know that many people who are right, you know, 
15, 20 right. times. Right. I mean, the casinos are there because they make money exactly. off of everyone else. Yeah. Um, it's not the other way around. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's kind of how, how we've thought through that. And it, you know, that, that does make a difference and it works. Um, and then you also have to know when to take chips off the table. Yep. Um, and like I said, this year, this is starting to be that point for us as well. So in the end, risk is incredibly important and fundamentals will win out for any asset class that you're looking. Coming up next, Duncan and I will talk about three investment ideas. We'll be back. Hi, everyone. Arusha here. I just hosted a free investing webinar with two market wizards, Mark Mitterbini and David Ryan. Now, these are two of the most successful traders in the business, and we demonstrated how professional investors sell stocks at the right time to maximize their profits and protect their portfolios. If you want to get clear selling rules and strategies straight from the pros, you don't want to miss this webinar. Go to investors.com webinar to watch it on demand. We are back with Duncan Rolf. Okay, Duncan, let's go over some current ideas that are on your radar. And the first one is Brookfield Asset Management, ticker symbol BAM. Yeah, I mean, we you know we look at a lot of uh, you know a lot of different uh, sectors, uh, obviously, on a regular basis. And this is one of those those uh, companies that has stuck out at at me as just being kind of really interesting because it's a it's a Canadian firm. They've been around for a long time. Um, they're owned twenty percent by the insiders, which I yeah, always that's like. Always good. It's yep. Skin in the game is very important. And they manage about three hundred billion dollars, and a lot of their stuff is is infrastructure. So they they own a ton of of private equity investments, direct investments, a lot of infrastructure, solar, um, pipelines, etc. And so they they charge a healthy fee uh, on all of that money. Um, yeah. So not only are they making money as an asset manager, but a lot of those investments are extremely profitable and they they're pretty active in a lot of the frontier and emerging markets you know chile and you know south america a variety of other places as well and so you know they've been really good at being opportunistic and going into these markets being able to build infrastructure um create very profitable rois on that and then charge fees on top of that yeah. which always helps you know the, the total return and and they fly under the radar so they're you know i don't know in our in my opinion they're probably not they're not that um, yeah, they're, they're a pretty good value at the current price. Um, again, we, you know, we don't, I'm certainly not recommending any of these positions, um, for, from a compliance standpoint, but when we look at these, th these, these companies, they really, um, perform well. I think the, their, their return versus the S and P last 20 years, you know, they're up about 16% per year. Um, so basically over double the market. Um, and if you look at kind of the future going forward here, especially with the low cost of capital, I think they're going to perform exceptionally well, especially as more and more people allocate more of their, their overall dollars to alternatives like private equity and, and you know, long-term infrastructure. Plays. So, and, and yeah, and you, you spoke about low cost of capital. They're, they're taking advantage of all these insane, insanely low interest rates, especially even globally, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, ultimately that works well for people who know how to deploy capital in an, an effective manner and have the ability. And a lot of this also comes down to the, you know, the boots on the ground to be able to go find those, the, that deal flow yeah. and capitalize on it. Um, whenever you're using other people's money, you're actually charging fees on top of that. That doesn't hurt the situation either when you're the general partner. So you're basically buying into kind of a general partner position with a bunch of guys who 
know what they're doing. Yeah, no, that that's pretty cool. I mean, on, on a on a chart level, I just pulled it up in MarketSmith here. Just a nice steady uptrend, low volatility. Doesn't have too many uh, crazy kind of shakeouts or anything like that. It's it's just a steady trend on a monthly chart. It, it's pretty amazing. It you, you mentioned like seven years of outperforming the S and P or maybe even longer than that. I mean, it's just yeah, just unbelievable uh, uh, uptrend. Yeah, and they you know they have toll roads too. I forgot as part of that. So you look oh, at those annuity money. like pipelines. You're charging you yeah. know it's like a toll road for you know for oil and gas. Right. It's the same thing. So so those kind of annuity revenue streams, I think, are really uh, attractive to investors. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so now the second stock here is uh, CVS, and uh, ticker symbol is CVS. And uh, what do you like about these guys? Well, besides, there's one very close to my house, and I have three kids, so I, I go there a lot. So I'm, I'm a big full disclosure. I'm a big customer. Of theirs. Um, you know, you know. I think I think for from a, a little more of a defensive standpoint, um, you know, CVS kind of operates to a certain degree in this. You know, they have like one competitor. It's Walgreens. Rite yeah. Aid is a distant third, um, and they have a you know a store in almost every corner. So when you look at their business, I wouldn't call it a monopoly, but it's not that far away from that. Yeah. Um, um, they're very very well capitalized. They're like a ninety-five billion dollar market cap, um, and with the um, migration of a lot of healthcare services into kind of uh, the more convenience areas, like you know one on every corner, right. I think you're going to see them um, start to start to, to add a lot more healthcare delivery services that are normally found in the doctor's office over time. And as that continues, I think they're one of the primary ones that are going to benefit from that. Now, obviously, the big 900-pound gorilla is Amazon. Yes. And when they get into prescriptions, which they're going to... Um, I don't. I think a lot of that's already priced into where we're at right now. And Amazon, and this might be contrary to what a lot of people believe, is probably not going to take over the entire world. They <laughs> only are going to take over a portion of it. Right. And so there, there still is enough room for the the number one seed, especially in this space, yeah. to do very well. They also just partnered with UPS to do drone delivery of prescriptions. So, you know. Who knows when that's going to play out for Amazon or them? Right. <laughs> you know, it looks like it's still a little ways away. Right. But they're definitely doing all the right things to put themselves as the primary competitor to Amazon in the space. Yeah. Uh, well, you're talking about the stock maybe pricing in all the bad news of Amazon uh, coming in here. This has been. It looks like it's been like in a four-year downtrend. Yeah. The yeah. the the stock rate. Right it had before that. It had a tremendous uptrend from 2009 to 2015. But that's why I think it's more of a value play. Yeah. It definitely is underperformed. There's and there's no question and I think I, I think it's a pretty good buy at this point, especially if, if the overall market starts to soften up here. I mean, you know, they're in a pretty good space with a good balance sheet to to be a defensive outperformer. Yeah, obviously a very very strong brand name too. Uh, okay, let's go to the third idea here, and and this is a, a, a stock that you can relate to. <laughs> it's uh, Focus Financial Partners, ticker symbol F O C S. And uh, why do you like uh, this stock? Yeah, this is this is a company that actually is specific to our industry, so we know them very well because they've been in our office a million times, and, <laughs> and probably everyone else is in our space. Um, so. All that we talked earlier on the show about independent registered investment advisors and kind of the migration of clients away from brokerage firms to independent shops and the migration of financial advisors in the same direction, which makes sense. Um, so not surprisingly, whenever you have a, a big migration of 
of capital and i.e. revenues, and you have these independent shops growing and, and getting bigger, not surprisingly, there's going to be a firm that decides they're going to go buy a bunch of them right. and create an even bigger independent firm. And that's these guys. And so what they did is they partnered with some private equity guys who are pretty smart. And they went out there and started buying minority interest in independent financial advisors like us. And the interesting about how they structure the deals is they buy a percentage of the cash flows with a preference, which means that as the firms grow, they participate in the upside. And if the firms have a 2008 where they lose a bunch of revenue, yeah. they still get their pound of flesh, which means that the advisor's the one who suffers, not them. And so that creates kind of this very consistent, sustainable growth trajectory that really works. And again, you know, they, they, they ended up going public uh, not that long ago. Um, stock has definitely, you know, trended downward since that. And that's because this year has happened to be the, the biggest mergers and acquisitions year in our industry in like history period. Oh, wow. Wow. And that trend is continuing at an accelerating pace, not a decelerating pace. And yeah. so they're using a ton of capital right now, i.e. debt, uh, to finance all these acquisitions. But they're buying you know, 10, 20 plus years of future cash flow right now with this money, with yeah. very low cost money. That's right. There you go again, the low interest rate. And so that profitability is only going, I mean, again, I'm just giving you my personal perspective on this, is is most likely going to continue to go up because as they pay off this debt, um, which is low cost to begin with, those, you know, those free cash flows are going to continue upward. And if the markets even continue to go up a little bit, um, as they acquire more and more of these firms, um, that year-over-year -year growth rate is going to become a big, huge number. So they're, they're purchasing a part of that cash flow. Uh, when the markets go up and when these uh, firms increase, that those cash flow percentages, those cash flows are just going to get larger, and so their percentage is going to go up at that point. Or is it? Or is it? No, that's exactly that? right. No, okay. it's exactly right. So they okay. get all the upside and basically none of the downside. <laughs> and you know what? If you're going to invest in a firm, that yeah. is the business model you want. That's, to invest. That sounds like a pretty good business um, model. Yeah. And they have a good, you know, the, the CEO Rudy. He's, he's they have a good team. And yeah. um, and you know, again, I we know we know the firm. We know a lot of other firms who who have ended up doing deals with them and. And um, you know they create a lot of cost synergies for these firms and 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 some value add. And so overall, I, I think in our space, this is this is definitely a niche play. I mean, yeah. it's it's very specific to our industry, um, but our industry is kind of unique and it has consistent kind of annuity revenues. And when you can buy, like I said, uh, a chunk of those that has the upside but not really the downside of that. That's a good buy. What, what what are some of the cost savings that the uh, that they're giving back? You know, because they're obviously they're buying these cash flows. What are they giving back to? Yeah, you know, the firms? the big issue for a lot of firms like ours is the back office. So the okay. compliance um, the compliance costs um, have gone up substantially right. as regulation increases. Um, the other huge piece of this is the technology, um, and so when you have clients are looking for more sophisticated touch points. It's okay. not just a quarterly meeting, it's on-demand access to financial planning oh, and portfolio analytics and a lot of stuff that ends up costing a fair amount to to build out. So there's a lot of uh, So on, online, they want to go on and play around with some tools and, and, and figure out some their own asset allocations. And yeah, like and, and all that scenario modeling and stuff we talked about, yeah. Yeah, before it was something we did you know in the back office right. and we presented. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't know how many trees we've killed over my career in terms of putting those <laughs> books together, but but this is much more, you know, app driven and so forth. And and there's the beginnings of that on the retail side with Betterment and some of these other yeah, robo exactly. advisors. Yeah. Um, 
that doesn't necessarily work that well when you're doing more sophisticated planning, um, especially with um, customized portfolios. Those are kind of models. Yeah. So this is basically the next generation of that for, I'd say, slightly larger clients. Okay. What, what do you think about the robo-advising? Because that, that has been a trend that's been growing and growing. I feel like I haven't heard it, but I, like, I feel like I heard about it maybe four or five years ago. Everyone's talking about robo-advising. It seems like it's kind of, I don't hear it as much maybe. Is it- I, you're not hearing it as much, but it's definitely still growing okay. fast. I think what happened is you had a bunch of highly, you know, well-funded startups like Wealthfront and Betterment who right. kind of made a lot of headlines with, with just going into the space. The ones who are really going to win, in my opinion, are, are the custodians. Schwab and Fidelity and Vanguard are yeah. all doing this, and they're doing it, it, you know, a lot better than most other people because they, you know, they have gazillion clients and they they have a captive audience. So, right. I, I think it's the same as TurboTax. TurboTax comes out, um, it does your taxes. You can send your taxes online. It's the it's it's the best thing in the world. Yeah, it's the number one preparer of tax returns out there. Yeah, and I still see a lot of accounting firms. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I still go to an accountant. Yeah, I'm like I'm not gonna do tourism. So, so I think I think that works. Um, it's gonna be really interesting to see how those robo advisors fare in a down market because we haven't had one yes. basically since then. And I think there's a big difference between a person talking to someone and an algorithm talking to someone. That's and true. so. That behavioral finance piece that we talked about earlier, that's yeah. going to be a big challenge for them. For um, sure. Yeah. So there are three ideas to consider. Thanks, Duncan, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we will have Anne-Marie Band on the show. She is the CEO of TradingBook.com. And also, she's a great speaker, trader, and also an excellent trading coach. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at Investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decision.